um, the lovely sharing that happens in schools. And um, we're all fine, we're all out of isolation now, um, so well, you expect us to uh, be back into life as normal now. So um, that's been, been, uh, been not a problem for us. I just had a headache for a couple of days and then a bit of a head cold. Uh, I know that other people have had worse experiences than I have, so I'm just thankful to God for his, uh, his blessings of me and my experience. Um, we're recording. Lovely, wonderful. Um, there was a burglar once who broke into my home, and I'm not sure if I've told you this story before, but um, as he was going around, he had his flashlight out and he was looking, um, you know, for the good things, you know, all the stuff that you want to, to steal. And I heard this voice saying, Jesus is watching you. And so he goes around and he continues his, his efforts trying to burgle the house and he hears this voice again, Jesus is watching you. And he's like, where on earth is this voice coming from? And so he decides to give up his, his search for the, for the goods and uh, he finds this parrot in a cage. And he says to the parrot, was that you talking to me? And the parrot says, yes, Jesus is watching you. And he goes to the parrot, what's your name? And the parrot says, my name's Moses. And the guy goes, that's so weird. That, who on earth would name a parrot Moses? The same people that named their rock wheeler Jesus. <laughs> now, in this fictitious story, Moses and Jesus are partners. In the real story, the real Moses and the real Jesus are also on the same team. Some of you know both of their stories and some of you might not know both their stories and that's okay, that's maybe one of the reasons you're here today. But I'm reminded every time I teach that the audience that listens is made up of people all over the biblical literacy continuum. A pastor I know of decided to make an intentional effort to get to know all of the people in his neighbourhood. And there was this really hip, new, cool young couple that had moved in into their, their street. And so he made this effort to try and get to know them. And uh, they would often be at each other's homes for meals and having a great time and really doing well getting to know these people. And they quickly found out that the, the guy and the pastor both loved playing golf. And, and they were both actually pretty good at golf. And so the pastor kept on saying to the guy, hey, let's go have a hit of golf. And the guy kept on saying no, kept putting him off. And so he was trying to work it out what it was. And now some people, if they're playing golf with someone who's really good, might get a little bit intimidated um, by how good someone is at golf. Don't worry if you ever go out and play with me, you won't be intimidated at all. Um, but this pastor was good, but then he heard through friends of friends that the other guy was also pretty good, so it mustn't have been intimidation. And he really couldn't work out why this guy just kept on saying, no, I don't want to play golf with you. Anyway, he finally said yes to an invitation to play golf. And in the car on the way to the course, the guy piped up and said, look, I know it's a bit weird, I've been putting you off for so long to play this game of golf, but I thought I really needed to tell you why. He says, the reason I've been putting you off is because I'm intimidated, not by your golf game, but by your Bible knowledge. 
I've got a college degree and see myself as a fairly intelligent guy, but I'm also embarrassed by how little I know and I didn't want to spend four hours in a golf cart with you proving my degree of ignorance. So there I said it, do you still want to play golf? And the pastor said, of course I do. I'm so glad you got that off your chest. Feeling relieved, this guy blurted out, I'll tell you how bad it is. I know that Jesus and Moses are characters in the Bible, but I really don't have any idea which one came first or if they lived at the same time. The pastor whispered under his breath, man, this guy really wasn't kidding. He's got nothing. But it's like, you know, when you do Bible quizzes, like, you know, one of those, the, 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 the great questions always comes up. How many of each animal did Moses take on the ark? How many was it? Well, actually, it was Noah's Ark, but that's another story. But speaking of Bible quizzes, um, I've got another little one for you. Um, in the story, uh, who comes first, Moses or Jesus? Another trick question. Yes, the answer is Jesus. And it's true that Jesus came down to earth and took on human flesh around 400, 1,400 years after Moses walked the earth. But he first shows up in Genesis 1.1 in the story of creation. Jesus is not just a man, but he, is a God, but he is God who has existed forever. And he created the heavens and the earth along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. In fact, the first chapter of John gives us some deeper insight. Uh, it says, John 1 verses 1 to 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a vision at creation. It is very important that you understand the passion of God. It was for them to create all of this and then to come down and be with Adam and Eve in the beautiful garden. This is God's grand vision to be with us. This is what God wants. But Adam and Eve rejected God's vision. And so they are escorted from the garden and then God turns up, re returns up there, which is where many people think God has stayed, up there. But there is a fascinating observation about the story that you may miss if you don't step back and look at the big picture. We're going to see that God is not an up there, distant God, but his passion is to be down here. That's his passion, is to be a down here kind of God. And there are actually five times in the story where God comes down to be with us. The first is at creation in the garden. Second, he comes down again to Moses and Israel, which is what we're covering today in chapter 5 of the story. Third was the incarnation when Jesus, the Son, comes down and takes flesh and dwells amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us. Fourth is the birth of the church when God takes up residence not in a temple built with stone or a tent, but in a new temple. He comes into us and dwells. 
And fifth, the final time is at the end of the story when his vision is restored and God creates a new heaven and a new earth and recreates a new garden, this time a garden city, and comes down to dwell with those who have embraced the vision of God through faith in Christ forever and ever. But here's the point. God is not an up there, distant God. He wants to be down here, near you. This is his desire. As we open to chapter 5 of the story today, we find it is time for Israel to inherit the land God promised Abraham 645 years earlier. Moses just led them out of slavery in Egypt by the mighty hand of God's power. Then now in the Sinai Peninsula, a desert heading northeast to Capernaum, uh, to, sorry, northeast to Canaan, the promised land. And three months into this desert experience, God visits Moses and says, I'm going to come down again and be with you and Israel. For the first time since creation, I'll be right in the center of your camp, right in the center of your lives. And when God's presence is with us, we experience blessing and protection, guidance and power. We have the favor of God on our side. But in order for God to come down, there are three things that are going to have to be in place. And God says, if I come down, the first thing is, is I'll need a place to stay. And so in Exodus 25, 8 to 9, God says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God gives Moses very specific instructions for the building of the tent called a tabernacle, which in Hebrew literally means dwelling, where every piece of furniture and every fabric chosen is a picture of what is going to happen in Christ 1,400 years later. God's presence will actually come down and dwell in this tent erected in the middle of Israel's camp. In the back of the tent, God has Moses section off a room with a super tall and heavy curtain. The room was called the Holy of Holies. This is where God would dwell. No one was to enter this room except the high priest, and he would only enter once a year bearing the blood sacrifice of a perfect lamb to offer forgiveness of sin for the people. And it's important to note that uh, the people did not have direct access to God. Why? Well, it's because their sin had not been dealt with or atoned for or paid for or made right. They were not made right with God. What keeps people from community with God is our sin offence. That's why the second requirement for God's arrival down on earth is this. He says sin must be atoned for. This is the section of scripture where we find the book of Leviticus, which contains some things that are very odd to us. In my 
personal devotion time at the moment, I'm actually going through Leviticus. And you might think, why on earth would you go through Leviticus? It's because it reveals God's heart. It reveals God's heart, God's heart for his people. And he sets out so many fine, intricate and repetitive detail after detail after detail of all the things that matter to God and how our sin is separating us. But his heart is for our sin to be atoned for. It was his heart from the start. The primary goal of Leviticus, of, of that book, is to lay out the exact requirements of all the animals and other types of sacrifices offered to God for payment of sins of the people. Every nuance and intricacy about the manner in which these sacrifices must be made point to the perfection that is to come 1,400 years later with Jesus. Now, if you ever read through Leviticus and you read of all the different sacrifices that are, have to be made on such regular basis for every single person that is able to, you would realise that this temple that's being built would have been more akin to a slaughterhouse. Out the front of this temple were, were, were grounds where there were altars, where they would drain the blood of animals, where they would chop them in pieces, where they'd set them aside, where they'd burn some things and not others, where they would put whole carcasses of some animals on and others would just be pieces. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when was the last time you smelt burnt hair? For me, it happens quite regularly when I open my pizza oven door and try and put stuff in and out. Um, this, yes, the smell of burning hair is not great. Um, but that would have been like the whole time that was always going on you would have of course also had the lovely aroma of sweet sweet roasting meat but the rest of it blood ick gore it would have been just a sight to behold but in order for there to be community with god in order for us to have community with god the sin nature passed down from adam and eve must be paid for right so the sacrificial system is instituted as sort of like a stopgap measure. There were instances of sacrifices prior to this, but now with God coming down to permanently dwell with people, sins need to be constantly atoned for. So the sacrificial system was instituted. I have a question for you though. If sins were atoned for by the shedding of the blood of these animals, then why was God quarantining himself in that back room called the Holy of Holies? These people of Israel had God's presence dwelling with them, but they could not have direct access to God. Why is that? Well, the answer is found in the New Testament book of Hebrews in chapter 10 from verse 1, which reads, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly end, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. 
But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. God was instituting something symbolic that gave the people opportunity to express their faith and repentance for their sin. But in reality, even the perfect blood of an unblemished lamb or bull could not remove your sins. These sacrifices were a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ. That's why during the time of Moses and Israel, God was with them, but they could not have direct access to God. One more. God says, in order for me to come down, there has to be guidelines on how we treat each other. In God's community, everyone is treated with dignity, honour and respect all the time. But because of the presence of sin running through our veins, we just can't help ourselves. One day we'll do something good for people around us and the next day we'll trash them. It's like these two guys who are meeting for lunch. One guy asked the other, how's it going with your wife? He responded, last night she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. Oh, really? What did she say? Come out from underneath that bed and fight like a man. <laughs> Pastor Randy Frazee, who was one of the authors of this series, tells the story about how his um, brother, who was five years older than him, or is five years older than him, uh, had a stroke. And that meant that his brother could not provide for the family. He was the only one with an income. And so his, well, his brother's family um, were, were really struggling. You know, no job, no income, no money. And Randy had, had made this, the, the, the commitment when he got married to his wife um, that they would always discuss their finances together before they made any purchases. You know, finances for married couples is obviously an interesting beast, um, but that's a great way to do it agree together and work together with all your finances. Um, and so he said to her, look, I've got this sum of money in mind that I'd like to give my brother and his family. And um, she said, oh yeah, what, what is that? And so he, he told her and she was going, I was thinking five times that amount. And so they gave five times that amount. And so he was filled with just such wonderful gratitude and said, thank you for joining me in loving my brother. How, what a nice thing, lovely gesture. That very same night, Randy was saying that um, they were having tea and after tea, Randy has a, a real need for everything to be neat and tidy. And so he packed away the table and in doing so, poured out his wife's drink. Now his wife really, really likes her drink after tea. Randy really, really likes having things neat and tidy. And so when Randy's wife asked, where is my drink? He goes, oh, I threw it away. And she, why did you do that? You know that I really like my drink after tea. So Randy was saying that 
he had known that for the 35 years of their marriage that she loves a drink after tea and he'd thrown it away, he'd ignored what he's known about his wife for 35 years and he put his need to have things neat and tidy before hers. Out of one side of our heart comes good and out of the other side comes evil. You know, that very same day where she had been so lovely and gracious and given you know, permission for five times the generous amount that he thought to be given to his brother's family, Randy, who had just received the generosity of her, then throws out something that was important to him. Just, yeah. God says in family, we can't treat each other like that anymore. You can't get away with that sort of dysfunction. So God gives us some guidelines for how to treat him and how to treat each other. And we call these the Ten Commandments. Jesus said the whole law that God gave Moses can be summed up, however, in just two commandments. Now in Mark 12, 30-31, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus is saying the Ten Commandments and the other 600 commandments that are underneath them will either give you instruction on how to relate to me or how to relate to each other. Of the Ten Commandments, the first four deal vertically with our relationship with God and commands five through ten instruct us on how we're to treat each other horizontally. Moses really values the presence of God. He knows when God is down in the middle of our lives, we will receive blessing. He wanted that for himself and he wanted that for the people he leads. He wanted that for himself and for others. Mums and dads, you want that for yourself. You also want that for the children you lead. The presence of God does something for you that you could never do for yourself. As Moses was up on the mountain getting these three things in place, it was taking a long time. And the children of Israel were down below thinking Moses wasn't coming back. I'm not sure if you have the same problem that some households have where one person's always waiting on the other person when you're wanting to go somewhere. <laughs> just sort of like times that by a thousand. And that's what these people were thinking. Gee whiz, you know, is Moses ever going to get down off that mountain? He's been up there. Has he just up and left us? Is he still alive? Maybe he's dead. I don't know. But uh, they may have been afraid as well. They also may have just been complete idiots, really, let's be honest. But they started throwing jewellery into a furnace. And Aaron said it this way, out popped a golden calf. They started worshipping the golden calf. God taps Moses on the shoulder and says, look at what these people are doing down there. Before you even go down off the mountain, the people have already broken the first two of the first four commandments about their relationship with me. No other gods before me, no graven images of me. You, can't, you can go into the promised land, I promised to Abraham generations ago, but I'm not going with you. That's what God said to Moses. 
God said he was not going with them. Moses then engages in some dangerous dialogue with God. See, Moses challenges God. Wait a minute, God. You can't do that. Brave person says to God, you can't do that, isn't it? It's a very brave person. But he says, God, you can't do that. You made a promise to Abraham 645 years ago, so you have to go with us. It says in the text, God relented. God relented. God actually backed down and changed his mind, not because God adopted the will of Moses, but because Moses brought up the will of God. You want God to answer your prayers? Recite back to him his unconditional promises that he has made. That's a pretty simple thing. He said to Moses, God said to Moses, Exodus 33 verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, we need to have that attitude of Moses, don't we? Well, but why? You might be asking why? Well, if if you're anything like me, it's because you want blessing protection and guidance. It's because you want to have the power of mighty God on your side. So today God is saying to you, he wants, he's saying to you what he said to Moses. He says, I want to come down, but if I'm going to come down, we've got to get three things in order. First of all, I'm going to need a place to stay. This time, The place I've chosen is not a temple built with stone, but rather it is a temple with sandals or sneakers on, whatever you're wearing today. I want my presence to dwell with you. Second, in order for that to happen, your sin must be atoned for. It's no longer the sacrifice of animals or grain, but is the sacrifice of my son Jesus. Because his blood is powerful enough to actually forgive your sins. I don't have to quarantine myself in a, in a private room where you have no access. The curtain to the room has been torn from top to bottom. I have been let out of the room. And now I can dwell inside of you whose sins have been atoned for. This means 24-7 in the middle of the night when you're most afraid, you can cry out to him personally. You don't have to call me up and go through me because I'm crying out to him for myself. For some of you, you desire God's favour and presence in your life, but you have never taken the step of making sure your sins were atoned for. You've never applied the blood of Jesus to your life. If you've not done that for yourself, then you are not a Christian and you do not have the presence of God within you 
But here's some really good news. It doesn't have to stay that way. If you invite Christ to forgive you of your sins through his blood, not only will you be forgiven, but his presence will take up residence within you. And third, he said, the third thing that needs to happen is that I need to give you some guidelines on how to treat me and how to treat each other. You don't have to fulfill these guidelines to have a relationship with me. That was never the deal. You get into my word and you learn my will so you can walk on this path of success I'm laying out for you. Does it mean it's going to be easy? No, but it will be blessed. That's the decision you're faced with today. Will you value the presence of God in your life? Will you say to him, dear God, I don't want to go anywhere without you. Dear God, I can't face this cancer without you. Dear God, I can't face the loss of my spouse without you right by my side. Dear God, I cannot overcome this addiction without your power and presence in my life. Dear God, go with me to work tomorrow. I need your favour. Dear God, I am lost and I don't know where to go. Show me my next step to take with a cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And I offer you the words of Moses the parrot. Jesus is watching you. Not to bite you in the behind for being a bad guy or for catching you making a mistake. He's watching over you because he loves you. He is blessing you and wants to protect you. I also offer you the prayer of Moses the prophet who at the end of this conversation has the audacity to pray, Dear God, show me your glory. Send down your presence. I want to see your face. God says, you can't handle that. But I'll tell you what I'll do because I'm so pleased with you. I'm going to brush by you as you wait in the alcove of the cave. As I go by, I'll put my hand over the cleft of the rock so you, can actually, so, so you can't actually see my face. But as I, as I pass, I'll remove my hand so that you can see the back of me. Moses nestled back into the cleft of the rock and the presence of God passed him by. You know, this needs to be our prayer. Show me your glory. Let us be enthralled by the glory of God. Send down your presence. I want to see your face. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask right now that you show us your glory, that you send us your presence. Lord, we want to see your face. Lord, we want to have the blessing that comes from your presence in us 
Lord, we don't want to go anywhere without you. Lord, we don't want to face any hurdle without you. There are many people here today who have sickness, who have illness, and there's those among us with, with cancers and all manner of different things. Lord, we ask you to be with us. Be with them. Lord, we ask you to, to help us in moments of grief and loss. Lord, we ask that you, by your power, would help us overcome addiction. That you'd go with us as we head into the workplaces that can be so such drudgery and so difficult at times but lord we ask for your presence to go with us we ask for your favor lord we so often are lost and we don't know where to go lord show us the next steps to take lord lead us like you did by that cloud in the day and the pillar of fire at night lord show us your glory May we be enthralled by it above all else. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, after ending on a passage like that, there's only one fitting song to, to sing. So why don't you stand with me as we sing, Open the Eyes of My Heart.